<laughs> hey, everybody. You do it. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Dixon. <laughs> With it. You sound great. Hey, hey, everybody. No, you, you got to do it. It's your podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Kelly Dixon. I'm here for the uh, Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is our last podcast of the season, episode number 210. We're really excited. We just mixed episode number 209. And we're here. It's probably the latest podcast you guys were saying. It was the latest podcast we've ever done. It's almost 9 o'clock at night. Um, I'm here with uh, creators of the show, Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. Hello. Hey there. Start calling you guys Gilligould. Gilligould. Didn't you guys have it? You oh told boy. me you had a, a, a nickname. Didn't you? The other A couple of weeks ago, you told me, Peter. You guys have a nickname? What was I, it? I don't know. I just the look on Peter's face. Maybe, was like, oh, maybe, no. Maybe. Did I give oh, away I know, my secret? I know. It's, it's, it's I know. Brangelina. It's, <laughs> oh, I think, I think when we're out of the room, everyone says those assholes. No, I, I, believe no. that's, I believe that's it. Those assholes. The, the assholes. No. The assholes. The collective. Uh, the assholes. Yeah. I can't remember what the it was. Assholes. I don't think so. I don't Statler know. and Waldorf. That's Statler and Waldorf. That would be yeah. it, yes. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, I'm also here with editor of this episode, Skip McDonald. Hi there. Co-editor of this episode, Curtis Thurber. Hello. And co-writer of this episode, Heather Marion. Hello. Hi, guys. Great. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. Bravo. Um, I'm also here with uh, my co-host, Chris McCaleb. Hello. How are you doing, Chris? Awesome. Thanks for coming over from Fear the Walking Dead. I'm glad I made it. I just barely made it on time. Zombies gotcha. Yeah, they're they're agile. You can't even believe how well a zombie, a dead <laughs> thing can move around. What, uh, what episode are you guys working on? Uh, I'm on uh, 205 right now. We just sent it to AMC right tonight. On. Right on. Well, that's cool. It's nighttime. Did we already mention that? Yeah. We did. We're all under yeah. the gun. Yes. So uh, this is the last episode. Does it have a title? Yes. You want to say what the title is? And also, uh, well, I guess we'll talk about Heather. We'll talk plenty to Heather I don't about think we Heather. should. I think uh, we should just leave that. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about Heather. But Heather, you talk about Heather. Talk about how great okay. Heather, Heather is. And where, and please, where Heather okay, came from. Okay, I changed my mind. Heather, Heather has <laughs> been, has been uh, started out here as our writer's assistant on season one and for most of season two. And she has been extraordinary in every way and she's done a lot of writing of uh ancillary ancillary pieces and 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 some so a couple of which haven't seen the light of day yet but which are incredible and she co-wrote this episode That's with right. you Vince and this is your first and first episode of television ever first episode of t- TV ever mm-hmm. and you did a great job thank oh. you yeah. thank so you wrote the teaser and act 1 and act 2 mm-hmm. and I did act 3 and act 4 so so wait, but, but all that gun stuff, surely all that gun stuff has to have been you, Vince. You would think so if you if you knew me because everyone thinks I was uh it's actually been a while since I've been shooting, but I uh yeah, I've, I've uh, I'm a bit of a gun guy or at least I used to be. It's been a while. But all of that gun stuff, all every bit of the gun stuff is uh all this talking about the guns. That's all you. Yeah. Where would well, you, you where you get all that from? I t- I had a couple people that I talked to who know a lot more than I do and I'm also from Nebraska, so everybody I know has many guns that they love to talk about. Well, and you can't so. see cuz it's an audio podcast, but Heather is covered like head to toe in guns and artillery <laughs> and those like Rambo Forehead style tattoo. bullet <laughs> shell th- casing. Th- what are those called? Those like necklaces of bandoliers. 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 Yeah. And she right. and she has well, we we knew that she'd be the right person to write the scene cuz she's got that big tattoo of an AK47 on her neck. <laughs> and another on my bicep, That's barely. Right. <laughs> but you, guys you did a answered, great job. You didn't answer my question. What what's was the, what was the, the question? Name of the, uh, the episode? I'm sorry. The it's episode called Heather. 
It's called <laughs> with a with a K. <laughs> it's called Click with a K. K L I C K. Yeah. So what is that in reference yeah, to? Yeah, but you were telling me what it meant. I never knew what that meant. Well, we kind of like the sound of it, I guess. And we and Click is of course a military term, military slang for a kilometer. And you know, I guess we were thinking, well. It looked to me, and we'll get into this when we get into this, the sniper scene, the sniping scene with uh, with Mike, but it looked to be that the little cabin was about a kilometer away. I think in reality, to be honest, it was not. It was more like a 1,000 feet, but it sure seemed like a long way away when, when we were up there yeah. shooting it and trying to direct the guys at the other end of the 1,000 feet, which was a real pain, but we'll get into all that. And then, uh, I don't know. I guess you could also say uh, the click is the sound that that tape recorder makes at the end of this whole thing when uh, when Chuck turns it off. But, uh, I thought it was like one of those that big Lebowski when he's like, "I'm gonna pull the tr- thing till the till the gun oh, yeah. goes click or whatever." That, that was, was that was a great line. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> You ever pull know, a gun on me? I can't remember it now. Stupid. Yeah, it was uh, uh, the Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, John, John, John Turturro's character. Don't mess with the Jesus. He was that was great. Yeah, that movie is so quotable. Anyway, so but, uh, so and Heather came to us from uh, Jeff Garland. Yeah, that's right. I worked for Jeff for four and a half years. I was his assistant on many different projects. And I met you. I was on Jeff Garland's podcast, mm-hmm. which he does in front of a live audience at the Largo Theater in uh, in, in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, Jeff's a great guy. And uh, so I met you when you were still his assist his assistant. And we I was uh, I, I met you that night, and then we did the podcast. Uh, and then when was it after that that I got a call or an email from Jeff? It, it was within a few months or weeks or something like that. And he said, "My assistant uh, is." is uh, was looking to move on, and, and she'd be great, great, great uh, to, to work with you guys in your writer's room or wherever. And I remember thinking, oh, for Christ's sake. And just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that was nothing personal, but it was just like, okay, Jeff Garland's got, he's, he's just trying to palm off some loser on us. <laughs> and that's what you thought when Skip's wife talked to you, too, right? Isn't that what happened, how he got the job? It was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, that is a story that uh, with uh, Gina, who was our, our uh, uh, Skip's wife, Gina was our was our. Uh, no, I didn't think I didn't think I'm joking, by the way. I didn't I didn't think either of you were losers. <laughs> but two of the most wonderful people who ever came to us on Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul were people uh, that uh, other people had had recommended. And yeah, you were our third editor, Skip. Other people with an ulterior motive. Because clearly Jeff was trying to get rid of you as an assistant. That's what I thought. And of course, it turned out he was being unbelievably selfless. Yes. And uh, you were wonderful. And and, uh, can we say it here about next season? Why not? Yes, I think we should. What? We don't have a next season. If, If there were, if there were to be a next season. Okay. If we were to get picked up, and as as of this recording, we have not been picked up for season three. Intent. Uh, uh, It is entirely within the realm of possibility. It's it's it is possible that that we will be picked up for season three, and And at that point, uh, Heather Heather will be moving moving up, and and she will no longer be our writer assistant. She will be. a writer on the show. What, what comes first, it. staff writer or story editor? Uh, staff, writer. staff writer comes first. Staff uh, writer. And then story editor. and then uh, Executive story editor. Uh, and then uh, what, co-producer, co-producer. or whatnot. Yeah. But uh, 
No, but actually, and, and to finish the story, uh, to, but uh, uh, your lovely wife, Gina, way back on mm-hmm. uh, Breaking Bad, was, uh-huh. was running post-production for us and doing a wonderful job. And uh, we needed it. We thought, or I guess we, we did need, or we thought we needed a third editor then. We, in the early days of Breaking Bad, we had three editors, not two. And we had uh, Lynn Willingham, and we had uh, Kelly Dixon, your first job as an editor. That was editor. my first job. Yeah. And with, we... Uh, We've learned since to do it with two, although you, you, you two guys uh, can speak uh, better to this than I can about whether this is a great system ultimately or not, having two versus three. But this we system needed, works great. This system the way works we do it. for two works perfectly fine. But back in the yeah. day, we, we thought we needed three. Which is typical on a TV show. Which is right? yes. Yeah. And, and Gina, your lovely wife, said, you know, my husband's an editor. And I remember thinking... Okay, all right. Of <laughs> <laughs> course, you had no idea who I was. And you're the <laughs> best. You too. I cannot imagine working with two better editors than you and Kelly. Well, Kelly well, and you. you. You guys are so, and, and so, uh, and it was the same with Jeff. Jeff Garland mm-hmm. saying, hey, you, you should hire my assistant. I'm like, okay, all right. You know, I can think of another example, too. I'm glad too. you took a chance on I can think of I can <laughs> think too. of yet another example of someone who's not here in this room, which was uh, Jessica Hecht. Because if you remember yeah. season one of Breaking Bad, now that now this is a deep cut, and this is because because we did not do a podcast. There was no podcast season one, so I can this, I can reveal this. Of Breaking this Bad, this might be the season one of Breaking Bad. Uh, was not there was no podcast. The original the scene where Walt. Tell me if this is right. If this is right to your recollection, Vince. The scene where Walt. We have a flashback to college Walt, where he's got a beard. And he is he's right. talking about what what are the elements that make up a human being and oh, where's yeah. the soul. That was my episode. One yes. And the, uh, the it was originally written to be uh, Walt and his friend, uh, his friend uh, Elliot Schwartz. And then we you know, we had some trouble. As I recall. And tell me if this is tell me if this is right. We had problems. You had problems because I was I was just tagging along at that point. Uh, problems casting Elliot. And Adam Bernstein, who directed the first two episodes after the pilot of Breaking Bad, said, hey, you know, my wife is here. Uh, she's a wonderful actress, Jessica Hecht. And that became, she became, that it became a scene between Walt and Gretchen Schwartz, not Elliot Schwartz. And that, of course, <laughs> changed the course of Breaking Bad. And of course, we love Jessica Hecht. She's, I wish she's I had a wonderful. camera to show your face. Right well, now. because I'm, I, <laughs> am I wrong? Am I no, wrong? That has a uh, ring of truthiness to it, as Stephen Colbert would say. I think you're probably right. I, I'm just the face I'm making is due to my realization that I have virtually no memory of season one of Breaking Bad. <laughs> you are very probably right. I just I I remember so little of that. Every now and then we talk, uh, Kelly talks, or we talk about, hey, wouldn't it be fun to go back and, and do a season one podcast in hindsight for Breaking Bad? But th- th- we could never do it, so don't get your hopes up, anyone who may be waiting for that. Because partly because I don't rem- it's like it, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm like some old geezer in an old folks' home who's like, Tell us about the Great War. Well, you see, I, 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 do, I never, I never I don't have any memory of. I, I never used to understand that because for me, on being on staff on Breaking Bad, everything was like it was, it was just just burned in my memory, like like the story I just told. But now that uh, we're running this one together, I I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember anything about any of these episodes. So it's, I, I think there's there's a, there's some kind of difference in uh, 
the men- memory management, as these computer just, people it say. It just goes away. It's just, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I always say it's like, chi- I don't know. I don't We'll never know, but I get the, it's like childbirth. You forget uh, a certain amount of it. Uh, I don't know. Women listening who have had kids could <laughs> call bullshit on that or not. But <laughs> I, I don't I don't remember. Anyway, oh, whatever. I don't mean to get off on too much of a tangent. Y'all, we, we got but, off our way on a tangent. But, but, but three of our favorite people on That's Breaking right. Bad slash Better Call Saul, uh, two of them right here in the room, and, came and we'll, to us from, and we were like, oh, okay, all right. Let's do do a guy a favor, do a lady a favor. And like, no, it uh, turned out it could not have. Which and my life philosophy, by the way, is no good deed goes unpunished. But it's nice to see that there are exceptions to every rule, and there's three good ones right there. Well, that's Thank true. You. Thank it's you. amazing that you can even get together a good a film crew like we have uh, just by word of mouth, because you know there's no Yelp for film editors out there, so you really <laughs> have to trust people. And you know, we got you off of it, Craigslist. Yeah, you we? got me off of Craigslist. <laughs> I, I had that picture of, no, of myself no, uh, you know what, laying no. down on a couch. Curtis, you, you did come to us in a little bit different way. You started as a post-production PA, right? Yeah. So how did how did I'm you get that. here? On season two, yeah. So uh, Gee, was it that long ago? Yeah. It was, See, I have it no was, memory <laughs> of this, and I'm not being funny. I'm, you know. Curtis, yeah. Curtis graduated from USC, right? I did. In fact, it was... And I went to college in your hometown. You did. It's, How, it's, like, it's, that's it's a like small world. Degrees. It's <laughs> a small world, but it's a big world. No, What's your yeah, hometown? This, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, yeah, right. Shout out to uh, Fort Collins. Yeah. Um, go and, Rams. Uh, Fort Collins High School, yeah. Uh, go Lambkins. Go Lambkins. <laughs> yeah. Probably the worst college uh, high school mascot in the country. <laughs> well, <laughs> NYU, my school had the violets. Wait, so <laughs> it's wow. literally a lambkin. Yeah. Yes, not not even a lamb. It's like a a, a child, a, a a small lamb. A lambkin. <laughs> a lambkin. Yeah. Cause, what, cause what a fearsome made mascot. Up? That is no, worse than the real. violets. The that is the real. Lamb. Look at us. That is yeah. That's really striking. You win. Striking. We were on David Letterman's list for worse <laughs> high school last year. Well, there's a banana and slugs, and guess what? Right? There's, here's a little bit, another little bit of six degrees. Okay, so, and we can cut this if we need to. Michael McKeon's wife is Annette O'Toole, right? Yes. Right, okay, so Annette, Annette O'Toole was in one of my favorite movies when I was really, really small. It was one-on-one, and she was like, and I, I was like so jealous because she was like Robbie Benson's girlfriend. Oh, okay. And that movie was shot at Colorado State University. Wow, okay. So, like, so Annette O'Toole, who's connected to Michael McKeon, who's connected to Colorado State, and that's the that's the school that I went to, and that's Curtis's hometown. Oh, right on. How about that? Anyway, yeah. it's been a great podcast and a great season. <laughs> 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 See what happens? No, but finish your story. No, yeah, finish, so, finish your story about the, how he came to us. Yeah, uh, yeah it was a, it was actually my my first PA job a, uh, after school after USC. Um, it was on a little show called Breaking Bad. Damn, Nobody how'd you look into that? I yeah. the, how did you I, get I here? I believe you could ask Diane, but Di- you know, Diane found me uh, th- uh, through. She's good friends with uh, one of the uh, editing professors at USC. Oh. Um, and, he, and he said, you, "This guy's a good guy." It was yeah. She 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 called him for reference, and he was like, "Who's that?" Uh, but she still brought me in. <laughs> <laughs> she still brought me in, and uh, I believe you'd have to ask her. But I think I was the only. Uh, in, person they interviewed for that position that uh that had watched the whole first season of breaking bad wow. and was already a big fan at that point wow. so i was very excited to get on the show i'm 
glad I'm so well. We're so lucky to have you. Uh, all goofiness yes. and joking aside, no question about that. You're a wonderful asset to the show. We're and, you're, and you do such yeah. a great job editing now as well as as being a yeah. wonderful assistant. So I, yes. But I will say, I wonder. We probably. That should not have been a big requirement to have been a fan of the show. <laughs> no, and, and and that is not a, absolutely not what got me the job. Oh, okay, no, right. but uh, I promise you recognized uh, a certain yeah. passion uh, for editing and for and for uh, wanting to be here. So, and that's what really counts, especially at, in the early days, is that that you really want to be there and you want to you want to show uh, everybody that you're working for that you're you're there for the long haul. And uh, here we are, uh, eight years later. And, uh, That's right. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been away from I went away from Breaking Bad after season three and had to get other experiences under my belt. And then I found my way back. And uh, now this is uh, uh, my second co-editing credit on Saul because last year I co-edited episode one hundred and nine, Pimento. Um, Did a great job on that one too. Yes. You guys edited the living hell out of that one too. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. And one last shout-out before we get in. I swear to God we're going to get into this thing. Today is Brian Cranston's birthday. Oh, oh look at that. As we record this, I guess I can say this because usually, you know, age doesn't. It's a big one for him. It's a big one. 80. 50? He's 80 years old. He's 80. Happy birthday, Brian. <laughs> Happy 80th birthday. Is it 51? No. Actually, his 51st birthday, and I'll let you do the math. Uh, on what, but his 51st birthday, also on this day, uh, was the second day of shooting of the pilot of Breaking Bad. And really? We, we had wow. a cake for him. I might have typed this on another podcast, or maybe I haven't. Seriously? So I'll make it quick. But yeah, it was second day of shooting. I was nervous out of my mind, although a little less nervous in the second day. The first day was a big, tough day. The first day we shot the uh, uh, Walt uh, with his goofy um, uh, bulletproof vest. And uh, he sitting That's in the back right. seat, and uh, Hank and uh, Gomi sitting in the front seat, watching the uh, the meth lab get busted. And then uh, the Hank and Gomi go inside, and he's left alone in the back of the minivan or whatever it is. And and, and that's the first time we lay eyes on Jesse Pinkman, who's mm-hmm. climbing in his boxers down out of the bed upper bedroom of the <laughs> lady next door. That was the very first day of shooting, and that was a long day that we barely made, but. Uh, and I needed to make that day because I was. Everyone was thinking, "Oh shit, this guy doesn't know how to direct," including me. So I was, <laughs> it was important that I make that first day. And then the second day was Brian's fifty-first birthday, and that was a day where he got his cancer diagnosis. Where he was in the guys. It was a house somewhere off uh, overlooking the the Rio Grande. Rio Grande. I would say Rio Grande, Rio Grande. Whatever you say it. Uh, I guess it. Anyway, uh, where. Uh, that we turn at someone's house, someone's living room, we turn into a doctor's office where the doctor says, do you understand what I just said? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, terminal lung cancer, uh, but you just got a spot of mustard on your... So that was what we were shooting that day. I thought uh, you said you didn't remember anything from you season You know something? <laughs> and I wasn't joking when I said that, but some things, it's, a, it's funny, the things that do stick in your memory, and that was his 51st. We had a cake in the backyard of the house a cake for him and it was dark and we were all standing around eating it off a of paper plate second day of shooting we had just done the bit where he says you just you've got mustard on your on your you know and he did a great job with that I, like i need to tell anyone listening to this you did a great job <laughs> anyway happy birthday <laughs> brian happy birthday brian. Birthday, brian. Um, happy birthday brian happy birthday brian i guess it's possible there's people listening to this who've never seen breaking bad That's right. you got all i could tell you is uh, after this is said and done, I hope you watch it, and I hope you enjoy it, and I think you will. 
and uh, and he's a big reason why you will. Brian Cranston is so. Anyway, spoiler alert. Yeah, spo- spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry for all the preamble. So let's get uh, so uh, this episode. Yeah. So this was um, the tenth episode. This is uh, the finale that you guys. I'm sure that you guys. I mean, how do you guys decide? You guys are running the show. How do you guys decide who's going to get to do what? I'm sorry, get to Diz and who gets Well, to... last year Peter directed the finale, but you directed the pilot. That's right, yeah. And so this year... Yeah, how did that work? I, uh, we... uh, it was, uh, I think that we, we sat down, and we had, we sat down especially with Melissa Bernstein and tried to figure out what's the most efficient way. And I had this brainstorm that uh, it would be it would be great to have us both in the writer's room as long as possible. Oh, yeah. And so, that we, so if we directed the last two... Uh, then that would keep us in the room longer and have us more time to work on story. Of course, it would kind of ding post-production. Uh, I realized later, yeah. I didn't, which didn't, did not occur to me, did not occur to me at the time. And since you know, since I had directed the finale, uh, season one, I thought it would be kind of a nice bookend uh, for this for these first two seasons to have you direct the pilot and then and then direct direct the uh, season finale of season two and. Hopefully it's not the last last episode. I hope not. And yeah, I'd, uh, and and if the question, if anyone was wondering, well, how come one of us didn't direct the first one of the season and the other direct the last one? It's just in general, it's it's doable, but much much harder to go away at the beginning of the season than mm-hmm. at the end of the season because there's so many so many episodes that need breaking and writing and and all the stuff that needs to get done. Well, because when production starts, I, th- I think maybe we've talked about this a little bit, but when production starts, where are you guys as far as the breaking of the season? Do it you, varies by season, but I bet you Heather yeah, remembers you remember? better than we do. How many episodes in? Because uh, we uh, went into production in I, July this year, right? I know that we tr- July we, I know 9th we was day for. one. I know what we aim for. How many we had broken? What we aim for, we which had, is the like, most important. I think part. we were on seven when mm-hmm. we started production, and, and that was true both, se- both seasons. Which sounds like, oh man, what a walk in the park! You got seven, and actually that was pretty good because we've had seasons we started where we hadn't broken that many, but seven out of ten, oh man, what a cakewalk! But those final three take exponentially longer when you're shooting when production starts when production it's, starts it's yeah. just always it's always a race to the finish line and if there's anyone listening who works on a real show as in a network show that's got 24 episodes in a season i know you're hating on me right now and i don't blame you because <laughs> it's like we're you boo we gotta do 10 episodes and we only have a year yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If you're listening and you work at a network <laughs> show, I hate me too. <laughs> but, I'd also encourage but, them not to try the two-editor rotation on the network. Oh, yeah, yeah. they try. Yeah, yeah they try. They, they don't oh, really? really understand. Yeah, there's a lot of shows that will sit there and they'll try and do two. Not just because we do two, but they're just trying to do it to save money. And it never works, yeah. ever, you ever. You run into a they bottleneck. They start that way and within mm. like the first four or five episodes, yeah, you, they're in deep trouble. you got to hire somebody at least by episode five, which is what we did. We yeah. hired Skip at episode five. You know, yeah, okay. it just doesn't work. But people want to try and do it. They I, want to try. I heard they're training special spider monkeys now to run the Abbott. <laughs> Where can the... we get one? <laughs> we're, we're training Mike Bermanshaw right now oh, to yeah? run the Abbott, actually. That's true. And Mike, how, how do you feel like, uh, how do you feel your training is coming along, Mike? Ooh, not good. Not great. Well, I mean, I... It's not that I don't agree. It's just I don't even that... know why I'm here. This is my damn day off. I, I don't think Mike's going to do that well because he's got no fingers the... and no opposable, not not to mention an opposable thumb. Hey. But it just, uh, you know, those buttons are kind of small. Are you, f- come on, Vince. Hey, hey, apologize. Fine. 
I am sorry, Vince. Are we cool? We'll hug it out later. <laughs> I haven't spoken to Mike in a little while. And it's just, you know why? It's because Mike is, is a fountain of knowledge. And you just want to make sure you throw to him when, when you really need to know something. Thanks, Peter. That's very nice. That's how you say nice things. Let's, let's start way back in the beginning, in the writer's room. You know, you do your best to kind of figure out the shape of the season, but then you realize the deeper into the season you go, you didn't quite, you thought you knew where you were heading at a certain point, and then you didn't. So I think especially this season, I, I, we spent most of our time at the beginning of the season talking about the beginning of the season, because we had this... We had this uh, terrible, unexplored territory, which is, what the hell does Jimmy do after he drives off at the end of 110? And that, to me, that was the big breakthrough for me, was, was knowing that it was, it was ultimately about Kim. And then, but I don't think, I don't remember us. Well, Heather, you probably remember better than, better than either one of us it, how, much, how much we actually had as we started breaking the episodes. I think we thought at the end of season one that we had a lot more direction than we had starting season two mm-hmm. but i think that's because we reevaluated like where's jimmy's head at and what's important to him and who is important to him and then we figured out it was kim and um it the first episode we broke fairly quickly Did we? much more quickly than the first episode of season one but that's because we were talking about the show as a whole yeah that took longer didn't it i don't think we knew when we started uh that hector Tio was going to be uh, was yeah. going to be was going to be such was going to be such a thorn in Mike's side, or that he that, would even be in the season. That he would even be in the season. Yeah. It, it was it really was just following the logic, and it's logic that we started off and you know and make it sound it makes it was really hard one, uh, but to realize that okay if we if we have uh, Nacho who works for Tuco, but he seems like he's handling Tuco. Well, that's going to get out of hand at some point, yeah. and then. Then if if you've got Tuco in trouble, well that brings in Tio. Makes sense, his uncle, his uncle. And then if you've got if you've got Tio and Mike at loggerheads, what's that going to do? And so it's it's uh, it, it, I, I'm I'm saying that as if it's self evident. It wasn't. I'll speak for myself. It wasn't self evident for me after many, until many many weeks of talking. Where there were, we went through a lot. There were a lot of blind alleys that get explored. We put that building out there. Yeah, you know, we're doing this all out of order. What the hell? The, uh, that building, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, our amazing construction crew built that based on uh, uh, Tony Fanning's uh, design. Because we looked, we thought, ah, man, we started off, uh, Christian, our uh, location manager, was showing us all around different places. And we just figured, well, we need an old cabin or some sort of house, some sort of domicile. I thought it was going to be Tuco's house. At first, I was looking real close because I thought it might be. Oh, shit. Tuco's got to talk about that. Oh, yeah, that. you should tell that story. Yeah, we, uh, Heather and I and Melissa Bernstein and uh, Jen Carroll, my lovely assistant, all of us are uh, driving around. When we first got to Albuquerque uh, scouting the episode, we, we went, the first place we went and looked at, and it made perfect sense logically, and in fact... Maybe someone was thinking, why didn't they do this? Well, we'll tell you right now why we didn't. The original plan in the script or, uh, was uh, that it was T.O.'s place that we saw way back when. Oh, in, when the cousins were little kids? No, no, not the, that uh, place. Uh, when in, in when the, you first met T.O. with Tuco, mm-hmm. Tuco's yes. taking care of oh, T.O. Oh, that's that place. And, that's yeah. what I thought. In the yeah, episode Tuco's Grill. Place. And it was, I have to ask you something because I know the crew and George Masters, who wrote that episode, always called that location the Sugar Shack. Why was that called the Sugar Shack? Because it was anything but. <laughs> That's, also, by the way, in, in movie parlance, the honey wagon 
uh, which sounds like a nice kind of a wagon, <laughs> is, is where you where you go to the bathroom. It's the uh, the, the truck or the uh, trailer that has all the toilets in it, and that's the honey wagon. So I think I think that was the sugar shack was called. By the way, I've never seen, it was biblical. I'm probably, I'm not going to talk too much about this, but it was the number of flies that were out there, <laughs> yes. it was like, it was like the Amityville horror, the omen or something. <laughs> it was, I never seen, it was, I've never seen to, before or since anything like it. And this is the Sugar Shack, which is where you wanted to shoot. This, was, this shoot. was your initial idea was, I know, I'll go back. I'd like to see some more flies. This would be a great place to shoot, and that and what, what did you see when you got there? We wanted, yeah, we drove out there. It was uh, farther out than I remembered. And uh, it was kind of a sad sight. It was, uh, I think, when we shot there back in season two of Breaking Bad, folks still live there. And since then, it has been abandoned. And there was some evidence that people had made their way out there to check out a former Breaking Bad. I was going to say, is it on the location. tour? <laughs> I don't think it's on the tour. It's way, way out there. And it's uh, part of uh, the roof had collapsed, and uh, maybe one wall had been. And there, there's some evidence that people were out there, you know vandalizing it and whatnot just kicking the hell out of it and spray painting graffiti on it and all that kind of stuff but we we thought well you know what we could do maybe we could our our construction guys are absolutely amazing as are our paint department all all these folks uh are amazing they could probably fix it up and we could we could make it work but the more we wandered around out there and tony fanning was on that scout too and he said whoa he said well by the way they can do anything but some things are not necessarily worth putting the time and money and effort into. And the thing that really uh, cinched it for me was I, we spent an hour or two out there, and it was hotter than the hinges of hell when we were out there, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a rough, really and I was hot. getting all dehydrated, but I was wandering around in every direction from the— by the way, I didn't even recognize it. It was so overgrown and, and busted up. I, I didn't even recognize the place, which was weird and kind of disorienting. But I wandered around all four sides of it for like an hour thinking, uh, where's where's Mike? Because he has to be a long way away. And it was just flat scrubland around it on all four directions. And there really was no – and the scrub around it was three or four feet tall. You would either have to come in with a bulldozer and knock down all the scrub or – it just it, – there was no good place for a sniping position. And it didn't look that cinematic. It didn't look that arresting visually. And the place was in such sad shape that it would have taken thousands and thousands of man hours and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to make it. Well, and the, well, the safety issue alone, just, just uh, fixing the place up so it was safe to put a crew inside. It was just undoable. So we started looking. We said, well, what the heck, we'll look for a different spot. And it was kind of hard finding this place. You want to talk about that? We yeah, drove we, all we over creation. Yeah, we found a few places that we'd love to use sometime that were really neat. And then uh, we found this spot, and it was beautiful and perfect. And we found, we looked at the spot where the cabin could be and tried a different, a few different spots there. And, you know, people were a half mile away from us, and we were looking through a real scope because you wanted to use a real scope. I got to I gotta brag right now on our, on our great uh, camera guys and whatnot. Uh for and and our prop guy Mark Hansen, everybody for figuring out how to do this. Every shot through the rifle scope, every shot. And and by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing this. Uh, the thing uh, that is usually done, we we do it plenty. But usually, when you see a shot through a rifle scope on a movie or a TV show, pretty much always when you see it, 
it's just shot with a longer lens and then a crosshairs are matted in to the frame to make it look like you're looking through a scope. <laughs> Literally, and we've done that plenty before on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, we put the binocular mats over the shot to make it look like someone looking through binoculars. And there's nothing wrong with it. But we figured out a way to shoot through a real Mark IV scope, the exact scope that uh, Jim Beaver's character tells us is on the is on the rifle. Every single shot you see in this episode, in that sniper scene, is actually shot through the real sniper scope. That's amazing. And so that's the real that's the real aiming point you're seeing through the scope, and it's just that's the, that's what it really looks like. And it's not even easy to look through those with your naked eye, yeah. let alone with a lens. Well, so. well, I remember when those dailies first came in. I just happened to see them on the Avid when. I think Curtis, you were prepping some of that stuff. Yeah, I couldn't believe that that was real. It's real. It's yeah. So I mean, and you, it's unmistakable. It doesn't look like a, an effect. It just looks like how it really is. But the fact that you actually figured out a way to shoot yeah. through it was—we were all I was really, really, really proud of, yeah. uh, of how those shots looked. But uh, I don't really know how you pulled it off. Like, yeah. who, who I, figured that out? I, that's the great thing about being a director is you don't, as a director, you don't have to figure it <laughs> out. Say, you just I want. You just have you have your bourbon in one hand and your sandwich in the other. Yeah. And then you, you say hot dogs. <laughs> I ate through ate my weight in hot dogs. That's right. I ate hot dogs. <laughs> But, uh, and I didn't literally drink bourbon until the end of the day. But uh, you say, the great thing about being a director is you say, you know, it'd be really cool if we shoot through a uh, sniper scope. And then you wander off and stare at the sun or whatever it is you do <laughs> while, while the, the, the really talented people say, oh, shit, how do we do this? And then damned if they don't figure it out. Having said all of this, it's a really cool bragging rights kind of thing that ultimately doesn't mean much because... Curtis, you cut this scene, mm-hmm. uh, and you did a wonderful job. And in the early, in your first cut, which is very close to this cut, I just fiddled with a few things here and there, but, I mean, you you you're, you cut this thing beautifully. But in your first cut, you had created, you wanted to go a little tighter on some of the shots, and we had shot with a super long lens, regular motion picture lens, and you took it and you burned in digitally, you know, using the, the effects right. on the avid, you burned yeah. in a sniper scope reticle, Mm-hmm. Or if I think I'm using the word right, the the crosshairs in the sniper scope, and I thought it was stuff we shot through the scope. I couldn't tell the difference myself. So right. at the end of the day, I'm I'm waxing geekish about uh, the fact we shot through the real thing. It doesn't really matter. It's there's no reason you have to do it. So. Well, it's incredible that the that the what the camera people were able to pull off too, because if if they weren't able to sell it as sniper uh, as the sniper's POV in that, you know, he spends a long time trying to get the perfect shot, and he's blocked a lot of the time. And if it's not sold visually that he's looking to get that shot and he's looking at the perfect uh, spot, you know, above uh, Nacho's head there, you know, it wouldn't work. And I thought, you know, if we use these other pieces, it gives us a little more flexibility to place exactly where we want those crosshairs. But then once we got into more of the practical stuff, we realized... We didn't even need that because the camera people had it all for us. The camera people did do a great job, and I'm so glad they figured that out. And speaking of other reasons this thing looked really, hopefully to, to the folks watching, it looked really accurate and believable, is our tech advisor, uh, Eric Steinig. You want to talk about Eric? Yeah, Eric Steinig uh, is a tall, handsome, knowledgeable, military, ex-military He's well. He's is he, he is he is uh, no longer. Uh, he's a, he's a marine, and I think once you're a marine, you're always a marine. But he is no longer actively a marine. And um, the ladies loved him, and the guys loved him, and I hope he can advise us 
I hope we have guns in every episode. <laughs> um, those will be my pitches. <laughs> all guns, all the time. And 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 a funny tidbit: uh, Eric uh, used to work on our in our in our camera de- or grip department. I think he was a dolly grip on on Breaking Bad, and he was also in an episode of Breaking Bad. Uh, I may have this wrong, but I think it was episode four hundred nine. And there was a scene where Gus Fring was in a big uh, battle, uh, sort of Cold War with what turned out to be Don Eladio and the, and the cartel down south of the border. But they want uh, him to knuckle under, and he is at his chicken farm there. Chicken warehouse. Chicken warehouse. <laughs> and they are loading a truck with, uh, with his chicken batter with the meth in it. And there's a big guy standing next to the side of a truck, and all of a sudden, boom, he gets killed by an unseen sniper and is, you know, very graphically gets shot in the head. Uh, and that was Eric as an actor and okay. did an excellent job. And Eric... You know, uh, Eric he, had that yeah. job in real life yeah. uh, as a as a Marine sniper, and uh, he was uh, did an excellent job. Uh, just a great guy, and, uh, and and does not go around bragging about it, but but you can just tell. I mean, he's got some stories. And, yeah, uh, and yeah. he made those scenes so real and helped Jonathan be really comfortable. I think with the weapon and the whole routine he does when he sets up the the gun on the rock at the top. Um, that was all Eric and showing him what to do and where to go. I like seems, to see. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was gonna say it seems so scary to be I, I, to be a sniper, and I think that the way that you shot it practically, for the most part, I feel like the the lens aberrations lend to the like you being inside it with him, and I, I, I don't know. It feels a lot scarier to me and more real. The, the way it was shot just feel it's frightening. It's I I wouldn't want to have to be sighting up the way that Mike is well, in there. And very, you feel like you're in it with him. When I saw it, I thought it was really interesting that it was just very anti-regular TV or movie that you would think. It's very patient. Very I remember patient. it was very, very mm-hmm. slow and very deliberate and very patient and stuff like that. So even in cutting style, you, you Curtis, yeah. you cut that? Yeah. It was very, very slow mm-hmm. and very... Not mm-hmm. slow in a bad way, but slow Deliberate. Yeah. and just Deliberate. Yeah. And, and, and and they would never ever let you do this on mm-hmm. you know, on other you know, they they just wanna hurry through things on other networks and stuff like that. This was uh, this is one of the reasons I was so happy when we broke this episode that Vince was directing it because I think this one it's one of the things is that Vince brings to it that you bring to it is like an attention to detail and a sense a sense of letting letting things play out. And the fact, the difference between just watching something that's just procedure, and then or or something that has uh, dramatic value and suspense. And for me, the sequence has uh, between the editing and the directing and the acting too. It has tremendous suspense, and also it's uh, it's boy, it may boy, we'll we'll find out whether it has any music or not. But one thing we know it doesn't have is dialogue. That's true. Yeah. And and actually, I'm glad you said that because a little, you know, how the sausage is made, which I guess is the point of this podcast uh, when it's all said and done. As we record this, we uh, we are taking a break, or, or rather, we're done for the day. But we we did the we uh, heard the playback on the mix for episode nine, Peter's episode, uh, just a couple hours ago, and now we're here at our writer's office recording this. And the mix for this episode that we're sitting here talking about doesn't happen until a week from now. And our best guess at this point is that there won't be any music on this scene, just the sound of cicadas and just general quiet in this sniper scene. But who knows? Uh, uh, Dave Porter may may try something musically, and, and so we, we don't know quite yet. We can only assume, but 
it's kind of funny to be recording this and not actually know how the music what the music i wish we could talk about the music and in general talk about how great a job we can talk in general about how great a job dave has done this season with the composed music just wonderful stuff but if i'm not mistaken don't you actually have dialogue of the people like of uncle Tio and the guys down below they're actually talking but you just can't hear them sure. they're talking and all of it was recorded you want to talk about that curtis yeah, it was all recorded, and, and um, um, there was certainly uh, a few shots that were shot from down there. Um, so uh, the question was, you know, do we see any of it from that perspective? But ultimately, uh, I think by far the most powerful, uh, the way to stay in, in Mike's head, and as, as Vince always said, is it's, it's about being in the character's head, and this is a really Mike scene, and we're really with Mike in this pivotal moment for him and we're wondering the whole time what's he going to do so i think it, it's really powerful and i love that that you let the uh the gunshot uh um be delayed because that's another thing that they wouldn't do in a lot of TV are you tying that perfectly the, the yeah. pistol shot that kills yeah. the poor truck driver yeah. well i said poor he's probably a bad guy too but the guy who played him Man, Manuel Uriza yeah. did such a wonderful job what a sweet guy and this poor guy was screaming his lungs out even though you don't hear it. Yeah. He was screaming his lungs yeah. out. And he was uh, and begging for his life and falling into this grave over and over and over again. And uh, he's he really gave it 150%. He's, he's a very sweet yeah, guy. But you're Excellent. talking, about, really, really you're talking about the gun, the gunshot when they shoot him and it's delayed because the, the, the sound yeah. would not carry. For the up. distance, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Curtis put that in and, and did a perfect timing job on it when i heard it the first time you played it for me i was like oh that's so good yeah it's just just little just this little pop yeah. you barely hear it and it's, it's great. so far delayed uh from the image that you see so out of sync so to speak but it helps um because when we hear the truck horn i mean the car horn right. it makes perfect sense that they wouldn't hear it that's what really kind of set that to was me, real that's important what to really sell that, set yeah. that yeah. up yeah the other part of that of that up, and that was so. Anyway, we got way off as usual. Got off on a hundred different tangents, but uh, that cabin we could we found the perfect spot with those beautiful white chalk cliffs that he's up on top of. Uh, Mike is up on top of this. This place had everything we needed visually, cinematically, except for a house that, and you needed some sort of building that that uh, to uh, could be in. Otherwise, he would have been killed, and the whole scene would have been over real quick but uh we needed that house and they built it and they built and all that house is is two sides uh the construction crew based on tony's design work they built uh two sides of, a, of that cabin and a bit of the roof and the whole thing is built uh is is supported by a big steel shipping container like the you know the cargo ships carry so that's what's supporting this whole thing it was a quick down and dirty way to to have something that would stand up to the winds, because the wind out there, luckily not so much in the day we were shooting, but there were some winds out there when we first scouted it that were just like, we're not going to be able to shoot out here. This is, this is. I this think is, you said yeah. one day, this is the land designed to kill you. This it, it is. <laughs> I love the Mexico. That, right? Oh is, yeah, um, we got to talk about the, the story, world's most terrifying tech scout. The hardest tech scout. Tell, tell them what a tech scout is. You tell them about how this was the tech scout from hell i'd put this up against i'm sure there's people out there who've made movies made tv who've had worse tech scouts but i i'd never met them personally this was hands down i i've worked years on x-files you know i've 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 been on hundreds of tech scouts 
I think. Uh, maybe it, I've never been on one this bad. This was epic. This was so bad. Tell them what a tech scout is and how bad this thing was. I think it's when you, you go out to the locations and, and the different departments come with you and the art department knows where they're going to set up and the cameras know where they're going to set up and everybody asks their different questions so that on the day it moves a lot more smoothly. But uh, we didn't get so many questions answered, I think, because it was pouring, absolutely pouring rain. We almost got stuck there. The roads were gone. I think we Whoa. crawled. We, I don't know if I, I don't know if I, how much I should say. I, I, we had. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Anna Ramey, who oh, is wow. our, who's our first, yeah. who is our, our, our first AD, our, our first assistant director. One of our first ADs. Well, she was yes, one of one of uh, two. Brett Dos Santos is our other, but uh, and, she, and, they, and they all to be clear, they alternate episodes. They alternate so episodes. no no episode has more than one first AD. Right, and the first AD is really. Uh, the person most responsible for getting 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 the whole episode shot. Uh, it is the, not the director. Let not me the say, director. Not, not what I'm directing. They're That's sort of the really boss of the set. They are. They really are. People they run think, the set. People think, well, they're the assistant director. They're the assistant to the director. They assist... And I guess in a way that's technically true, but I mean they're really the one getting shit done. They're actually the ones that call roll rolling and often. Yeah, and I I always let them call action because I'm trying to save my voice. So I I I usually call cut, but I I have the AD call action. But uh, Anna Ramey is the toughest human being I've ever met (laughs) in my life, male or female. She was. 26 months pregnant when she was, when she was wait like 26 months she was like the gestation uh, that's period of I think it was about Possible. eight and a half but it was it she was, was eight and crazy 8.999999 months pregnant when okay. she was uh, AD in this thing and we show up on this tech scout and by the way just this location was like two hours away from our home base right it, 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 yeah it was a, a long drive an hour and, hour and a half hour and 45 because, and we had to start so early because we didn't have sun so we got out there yeah way before the sunrise it was, it was like insane it was just like so we get out to there to this beautiful land that is designed by mother nature to kill you <laughs> and, we, and we're driving it took takes an hour and a half just to get to the end of the paved road where where the uh the indian reservation starts and then you drive on this in this beautiful land but you're in this dirt road and we get out there for the tech scout which was as heather said is the you know all that we're in a big bus and a big van and it's all the department heads and they're the electrical uh crew is going to figure out where they're going to put the generators for the lights and the this and the that and the whatnot and the, all the trailers with the makeup and all it and the teamsters are figuring out where they're going to park all the vehicles and and it's a real uh, tech scouts go on for hours i've been on them where they went 12 14 hours before but uh well maybe not that long but 10 12 hours but this one we get out to this place the buses make it as far as they can and then there is an area that is literally washed out because of a flash flood and anna who is as i say 8.999 months pregnant gets out of the bus i get out of the bus and i look around I'm like well fuck this we're going yeah. back. <laughs> we're going somewhere else and anna says and anna pulls up her hood over her head and says all right let's go and i'm like go where and she marshals everybody and i'm talking a bus full of people i'm talking i don't know 30 40 people to start walking there there's water going through and and, and it, i don't want to make it sound unsafe that was not unsafe it was not dangerous it was just unbelievably miserable because we uh we're wa- we walk through this little washed out area that the bus cannot traverse and then we're all walking 
and walking and walking because it's another two miles up the road just to get the location from where we are. And I'm thinking to myself, let's just call it a day. And then I'm thinking, but I've got this 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 in, enormously pregnant first AD who is just just marching off into the into the. <laughs> I can't I can't look like the world's biggest pussy and say I you know I can't do this. We walked. I had I have one of those little Fitbit pedometers. Uh, I am not exaggerating. By the end of that day, we had walked seven miles. Another two miles at some of the other locations, but five miles just to this location, and it was pissing down rain. It was cold. We're slogging through mud halfway up our, our calves. It was just like, and I'm just like, I'm wandering around. I'm like, this is this is like this is like the 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 the, the Bataan death march or something. This is like, <laughs> what are we doing out here? But damned if she didn't make it happen. And we got out there, and we're you know we show her the crew. Uh, we climb, then we climb this little mountain. You know, it's not really a mountain, but the hill that gets us to okay. Here's and I'm up there, and it's pissing down rain. Everybody's standing around, and okay, this is where Mike's going to be lying, and we need a. We, we need the house over there. And then these other poor guys run another 1,000 feet out, and they're standing there with these big, uh, you know, like, is this where you want the house, boss? And I'm like, what? Say it again. We're talking to each other in the walkie. It was just madness. It was, <laughs> we walked seven miles that day through. It was like, this sounds like, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I had to walk through the snow 20 miles to uphill both ways. It was, it was like literally that bad. I guess we paid our dues. We, 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 we paid our dues on that tech scout because we then shot. How many days were out there shooting? Two days? Two, two, two days. days. We had to shoot all the. We had to shoot all the uh, stuff out there, and then the stuff also with Jim Beaver selling uh, uh, Jonathan Banks's character, uh, the uh, the rifle mm-hmm. that, that we had to shoot that on the very last evening. But it was we had good weather for the shoot, thank goodness. Otherwise, I don't know, I don't know what we would have done. <laughs> oh my God, it was a tough text cut. So let's jump. Shoot. Let's jump back to the beginning of the episode. Sure. We left the last episode, Peter's episode, where Jimmy is trying to decide whether he should out himself, reveal himself, and jump and run into the copy shop. And so we start this episode where he does run into the copy shop to get Chuck, and he's you know calling call nine one one. And then I remember when I watched this, I was really impressed with the way that you shot Chuck on the gurney. But it kept going on and on and on. You shot this oh, yeah. upside down shot that was so cool, and you stayed in it. And it was really neat because I loved like the part where he's on the gurney and they're trying to do all the stuff to him, and he's like, "No, I'm not. I haven't given. I, I'm not. I'm not giving. You know, my okay or whatever <laughs> the word is." That he haven't uses. given consent. 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 Yeah. So can you uh, can you talk to us about um, about that whole thing and. Why? How you decided to go ahead and shoot it upside down, and and also the tech, the stuff with, uh, that the ER docs say were were they? Did you get real ER docs or? We had we had a lot of help from Rosa, our our med tech. She was fantastic. She was fantastic, and if that scene seems real, it was all due to her. But she has worked as our med tech, also in Breaking Bad. But uh, she is a, I want to say, am I dreaming this former battlefield nurse? I mean, she, she was in the military. and, and She was a medic. I don't know about battlefield, to be fair, but she, 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 mm-hmm. she, she, she's seen some stuff and done a lot of things. And was an ER nurse as well. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Let's talk about working with her because you worked with her a lot. Of, uh, you, you, you helped had her help vet the script because you wrote all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, she read and it was every great. page. And, um we, I did have a lot of help from my cousin Trisha, who is an ER nurse in the beginning, and she very patiently talked to me for 
hours and answered all my follow-up questions. But um, Rosa read all the dialogue and helped make it very real. She, we originally had like beeping all the way through. We had the heart monitor going all the way through the teaser. And she had told us this isn't something that really happens. And so we took that out. We wanted to make it as real as we could and not same a, thing not with in the a ER. hospice situation right. where someone's waiting right. to die kind mm-hmm. of you're right yeah, yeah. and so when she would say this is real this isn't real I, i'm really proud of the way it turned out looking so real and it it is not like a lot of the things you see on television um because it is really the way that they would do it and rosa really i i have to say at this point i i i was not <laughs> this sounds so bad i was not looking forward to directing this episode I'm proud of it, and I was always proud of the script. But as a director, you kind of are greedy for cool stuff to shoot. And I was looking forward to shooting the sniper scene because I figured, oh, that'll be cool. That'll be badass. (laughs) But otherwise, this is an episode where most of it takes place in a hospital. And, in fact, it takes place in two different hospitals. There's the hospital in Chicago of the teaser, the flashback sequence, and then there's the hospital that Chuck is in, and all of it was shot in the same hospital, uh, Gibson uh, Medical Center, most of which is closed down, and which has been a huge boon and help to us now in Better Call Saul, but also Breaking Bad. They're, they've been wonderful uh, letting us shoot in this uh, facility, of which most of it is, is uh, inactive at this point. But I was, remember I was talking to you, Peter, I was like, oh, God, I don't want to have to shoot you, an episode that mostly takes place in hospital you rooms. You said it's you had episode, episode envy. I had episode envy because your episode that people I'm sure are still talking about from, uh, as people listen to this from last week, the penultimate episode has all this great shit in it, all these fun, fun scenes. By the way, I got to give a quick shout out. The opening of Act One of this episode, Skip edited the hell out of that. Mm. Uh, how did you guys? That was actually Curtis. That was Curtis. Curtis. What are you I doing here, Skip? <laughs> Skip, did you did you edit any of this episode, Skip? I, I sat back and told Curtis what to there, do. There you go. What, uh, what did gives, you, you guys want to break it down for the folks uh, what, who did what? Well, I, I did the teaser. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I did act one and three. Yeah. Um, and Skip, as as always, does everything else and, uh, and, and gives me great advice uh, for everything that I show him and and has uh, has showed me the way many times. Well, you you've helped me out <laughs> immensely, you know. It's makes my days better when when you're cutting stuff for me and you know, you you got a, a very good eye and a good knack for it all. But I love the way both uh, Skip both you and Kelly uh uh and Chris, you can speak to this too as well as Curtis. I love the way both you guys give your assistants a chance to to edit. That's uh you don't have to do that. No one's making you do that. And, no, it's yeah. just, it's it's the way these guys are going to learn. If, you know, we don't let them do stuff there, nobody's going to learn how to do it. And I feel it's it's how we mentor these guys. I was mentored coming up, and it's just kind of paying back what I learned. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And yeah. and it pays great dividends because, uh, Curtis, both you and Chris uh, are wonderful editors now. Mm-hmm. And obviously we talked about Chris being on Fear the Walking Dead. And now you've just gotten a job. Uh, Curtis, you're going to be uh, editing a pilot, correct? Yeah, I'm uh, uh, starting it next Monday. So, uh, Whoa, nice. this is new news. What happened? Uh, yeah, it was last <laughs> minute. <you> no. Because <laughs> <laughs> both, both Skip and Kelly have been out of the office uh, this past week cutting their own pilots. And then uh, I managed to uh, get a pilot of my own uh, a couple days ago. Congratulations. Um, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. This is, this is a is very it? busy season for production because it's pilot season. And uh, they needed a second editor to jump onto this um, Fox Network pilot. It's called uh, Recon. 
So uh, hopefully that all goes well and everybody gets to see it. Right well, boy, the boy, are they, boy, are they lucky to have, boy, are they lucky to have you, yeah. Curtis. Oh, absolutely. It's awesome. yeah. Just like uh, see, Curtis, that was the right Chris. one. Well, yeah. thanks. Who are you working with? Um, uh, Todd DeRosier. DeRosier. Oh, he's a nice he guy. Ca- he kept the pilot of Fear the Walking Dead. He's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He has a cute little son. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Wow. And, you know, right yeah. now, as we speak, as as, as Vince said, we're, we're uh, mixing episode nine. We're going to mix episode ten next. And most most of these post folks are gone, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, and only, yeah. so far, we've right now, we all the only one of you who's actually working in the office is Curtis. <laughs> yeah. Everybody everybody else. And I just want to thank, I want to thank all, especially everybody here, but especially the three of you for yeah. coming from other work. To uh, to to be here for a podcast that's that's damn cool. It's great. It's it's my pleasure yeah. to be here. It's a great. You don't want to be around. Great here group after, of people. You don't want to be around here after everyone's left. It's it's very dark and depressing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually, if if we get another season, then the writers will come in, and it'll be less dark and de- it'll be dark and depressing in a different for way. for different reasons. <laughs> different <laughs> ways. Oh, you'll miss us every time. Of course, we'll miss us. us. No, no, we're, this is what we're saying. It's so dark and depressing saying. in a different way. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I did. So I was, as in my usual meandering way, I was actually. Uh, I started to say I was not looking forward to directing this episode, and I, this was ultimately going to answer your initial question, your original question, which was. You know, why'd you turn everything upside down and have that long water in the emergency room? Because back to, you know, I got us off on a tangent. But uh, um, I was nervous about and not really looking forward to this episode because of all the scenes inside a hospital room, which to me seemed kind of boring uh, to to have to direct. So I'm thinking, and so I guess the answer to your question, why'd you turn that scene upside down in the ER, I was thinking, and by the way, this has held us in good stead on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul also as writers and as directors, and for you guys uh, as editors, and for pretty much every crew uh, person, department head on, on both shows, it's always it's never a bad thing to say, how can I do something different than is usually done? So yeah. I've seen a lot of ER scenes on shows like ER. Yep. Great, great scenes, great show. That, For instance, that's a good example of a great TV show. I've seen a lot of ER scenes in, uh, in movies, uh, and, and I... It's sort of, sort of like, how do you do a, law, a lawyer show when the, uh, that's different when you've seen 100 million other good lawyer shows, good and bad, good, bad, and indifferent? So how do you, so all this long-winded way of saying when you say, why did I turn the camera upside down? First of all, we didn't start with it, uh, with it upside down, but I remember thinking, you know, what can we do? We've got this, and here's a little shout-out to Sony, not to blow smoke uh, up the butt of our uh, corporate uh, uh, benefactor, our studio, but they, they make a really great small camera called the uh, A7S. Was it with the S? Was that the one we were shooting, uh, Peter? Do you remember? I, I think that's right, yeah. That little, sounds right. It's this little 4K handheld little marvel. Joey Lou has just informed me, uh, informed us, that it's an A7R2. Yeah, A7R2. So it's this tiny little camera. And, Peter, I think it's safe to say you and I are pretty old school and kind of, sort of, not kind of, sort of, we still... A big part of our hearts are still with film and kind of wishing we shot this still on film. But, you know, it's the technology, the HD video technology is amazing. So all of this to say, this one uh, I thought, well, what haven't I seen in an ER uh, episode or whatnot? And, of course, when they were making ER, the cameras weren't nearly this small. You couldn't do this. But so can we uh, mount the, the, the little A7 to the, uh, to the backboard uh, that... Uh, Chuck is on, and how, you know, and the, I think the plan, Heather, you were there, but I think the plan originally was to 
was to roll them through the hallway on the backboard, on the gurney, and then get them into the room, and then we'd go into standard coverage, meaning, you know, we'd have a shot from overhead, we'd have a shot from the side, we'd have different shots and angles, and there'd be a shot of the doctor, there'd be a shot of the head nurse, you know, typical coverage that you usually do. And I remember thinking, well, you know, we got all day in here, luckily. We'll just shoot the living hell out of this, and, and, and uh, Skip and Curtis will figure out how to cut it together later. <laughs> and this shot on the backboard looks so cool that I remember saying, well, let's just keep going with the yeah. scene. Let's see how far we can take it. Especially cool to me was, and I was not thinking of this, but I think the camera was originally mounted on the gurney, but I, 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 I suddenly realized, wow, this thing is this small and lightweight. If it's mounted on the backboard, that means the actors in the scene could actually lift Michael McKeon, mm-hmm. and the camera would go with him. So, lo and behold, we did shoot coverage, and your original cut, I think Curtis had was really well yeah. cut. It had all these other angles. And it was so creatively shot. It's worth noting, I think Vince shot like 17 different beautiful shots for the scene. Wow, oh, thanks, um, man. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been nice if you just told me I didn't have to cut it. But uh, <laughs> You know, I, and, and by the way, that's... i got all these asides today, but there's not much, that much time, when you're, especially on a TV schedule, to communicate with your editor because you're so tired and you're so at the end of the day. But I should have done more of that. But having said that, you know, a lot of times directors, especially on a movie, they have a little more time. They communicate more with the editor, or the editor could even might even be on the set. So you say, hey, that was a great take. Uh, you know, I want you to use this, I want you to use that. But part of me is glad I don't have a chance to communicate with you guys, Kelly included, all you guys, because you guys have your own way of doing things, and I, I don't want to deny myself mm-hmm. the joy of seeing what you guys will do with this footage because you will always find an interesting way. Well, the truth all, is... Uh, all four of you, counting Chris, will find an interesting way to put this stuff some, together. Some directors do put sometimes they fit when they think something might be a one or in the script notes, but... Uh, most of the time, at least around here, we'll you know we'll cut uh, a version anyway because uh, you never know what uh, is going to ultimately work at the end of the day, and you want to have options to show. Yeah. And also, you guys are all kind of trained. It's it's sort of uh, ingrained in the system. If if a director shoots six, seven different setups, even if there's one great one, or it's sort of it's partly your job to to show the the director all the footage cut together that he or all the different angles that he or she shot right not, not around here it's not well but I mean, <laughs> generally speaking but generally, but the assumption yeah. is the director shot it for some reason yeah, yeah. The, i mean mm-hmm. it's interesting you're talking about this this a this little a7 camera because uh independently and i had no idea you're going to do this in the previous episode we did some shots that i think came out pretty well where the a7 was actually mount, body mounted to michael mckeon there actually yeah. there's some shots where he's 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 at and Michael McKeon is actually operating the camera because they the camera's mounted on this little this little harness and of course it it was pretty comfortable for him I think because it, the the camera's so light and certainly that's that's a shot that we've seen before and has been done a lot but because the camera was so small we were able to get it right up into Michael's face and with a wide angle lens and I, I think it's I think it's got interesting feel and it gives. To me, it gives a little bit of continuity between the two episodes. It, it those are great shots. This great stuff where where he's about to he's swooning and about to pass out and bang his head. I love those shots that you got. It is an amazing camera, and you can buy this damn thing at Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 you know two three thousand bucks worth every penny. We're living in amazing times. Yep. If you are some kid listening to this, if, uh, you know I say that in the best sense, kid. I don't mean it like pejoratively. If you're some young person who wants to get into making movies, 
you are so lucky to be oh, we're living yeah. in this age of technology you can go out to best buy and save up your money and seems like a lot of money but it's really yeah. not we I had mean, to go to film school just to get access to a, a camera and a and a and a and, a, and, and sync sound equipment i mean it's now that's just something that anybody not only a, that yeah. you have a venue you yeah, can just throw true. it up on the that's internet true. for yeah. free that's true having said all that though the one thing i would say and this was in, interesting to me because i was well if this if this a7r is so great why don't we just shoot an entire show on it and you certainly could but the one thing that we learned when we went into 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 a color session with with ted brady is that there's just there's just a little bit there's more that you can do with the uh with the footage from from our very expensive red which is a good thing because otherwise there'd yeah. be, there, you really could shoot the whole show the, yeah. the, the red dragon is is 10 times 20 yes. times the price of the a7 yes. and uh, uh and 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 it's it's worth the image really ultimately is has ten times the twenty times the flexibility, but in a pinch, this this little prosumer camera is amazing, and so we mounted it on this backboard and we you know we watched the thing. And by the way, back to Rosa, our med tech, I really I said to her at the beginning of the day, I said I'm I'm the director and name here, but I want you directing the actors. As in, we had these great actors, uh, the the doctor, the and the and the head nurse and and the other nurses. And the uh, and the two uh, EMTs who bring who bring Michael in, they're all they all did it. You want to give them a shout out there, Heather? The names? Yeah, they were all Eli Goodman was the was the doctor. I'll say something about Eli yeah. Goodman. Eli Goodman is somebody who's auditioned for us a couple of times. He's, I've never met him. He's a local uh, actor in Albuquerque, but he's just somebody who's a great actor, and we've been we've been looking to use him uh, for for quite a while, mm-hmm. and now here he is. Well, this also is the first time I'm hearing that those were actors. They're, I would not have guessed that. They're actors. They're uh, so real. Well, they they, they, uh, they are actors, uh, first and foremost, but like uh, the, the head nurse, uh, Leanna Mendoza, she also has some experience as a, as a real nurse as well as being a very fine actress. Uh, Jamie Woodward uh, and Ray uh, Hazar, uh, who played the EMTs? I think I think Jamie actually had. Uh, yeah, he's a real EMT. Real, real for the military, EMT. right? Yeah, I believe so. And they, all these folks. So we we did our best to hire folks who really could walk the walk, but they are they are also uh, they are also. Uh, uh, Guys, what, one what, of the uh, one of the player. things about recording late at night is that uh, the janitorial staff is vacuuming the floor. Oh, oh that's it's right. This is great. You, uh, now yeah. you get to see. You get to find out all the ins and outs of our office. This is, this here. is how the sausage is cleaned. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that's right. I, I, I got up on a tangent because we got uh, the vacuum cleaner going. Well, you know, that's how it goes when you record these but things. But the great late. thing about that whole scene, though, is that it's not hectic and crazy like you know you watch ER and TV, and there's just just fast paced and crazy. This you said this is how they would really take care of this. And yeah. that's and that's really hats off to Rosa or MedTech because we, we hired these good actors who uh who I say actors as in male and female. I guess that's a new way to say it. Yeah. Uh who had most of them, if not all of them, had some at least some measure of, of well actually no to be fair, Eli didn't apparently. He's just a damn good actor. That's but right. He's not he, a doctor he or anything. Mm-hmm. But they're just really good actors. Several of them had some sort of experience. But then Rosa said you know, I just I said to Rosa, how do how do we make this? Two things I want here. I want it to look real, and I want it to look different than every other thing I've ever seen on TV. And I want you to direct this thing, really. I want you to direct the actors. I'm going to figure out where to put the camera. Mm-hmm. But you and and Heather's written you some great dialogue. But is there anything more? Can we stuff this thing more wall to wall with talking? Can we make it seem a little more chaotic? She said, Yeah, you can make it chaotic, like you see in the movies and whatnot. And the but this guy's not dying. 
this guy's not, you know, blood's not shooting out of his carotid artery. He's not, his heart hasn't stopped. You know, these people care, if these, if these are, you want these to portray these as real legitimate medical professionals, they're, they're good, caring people, they're professional, they work hard, but they, they can't invest emotionally in every guy that comes rolling through the door. And this guy, they'd tell, I, said, I said, could you tell a guy being rolled in if he's going to die or not? She said, yeah, within reason. Like if this guy rolled in with the neck brace on, but he's, his, his, his vitals are pretty good and all that, yeah, I know he's not going to die. I know that from across the room practically. And I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to make her sound like some coach. I'm, she, no, I, I'm probably I'm misrepresenting a little uh, to any real medical professionals are listening. But I, the point is, not everyone who rolls through the door in the ER at two in the morning is is in dire shape and and needs someone yelling. I need twenty cc's of anacanapanasan, stat, and I, you know, <laughs> pounding them on their chest. Live, don't, you son of yeah. a bitch! Don't, don't you know, die on me! Don't you die on me! So, so she said, you know. So they're they're you know. So anyway, all of this long winded horseshit. <laughs> Sorry, I get off of these tangents, but. Rosa really, really kind of gave the folks what to say, and they kind of rolled with it. And they a lot of this dialogue, you gave them a great, great start. But some of this extra stuff, yeah, a lot, a lot of that stuff was Rosa talking to them. And yeah, yeah, and Rosa really did a said, great okay, job. yeah, you, you, okay, you would go over and you'd use the electronic uh, uh, temperature thing. You'd stick it in his armpit, and then you, you'd put the little oximeter, ox, oxygen meter on his finger, and. And then Michael's rolling with it too. And what is that? You know, there's just, it was it was so much fun to watch. We did eight or seven or eight takes of it, all the way through, and it was so much fun to watch them kind of make it up as they went along. I, I, I'm making it sound kind of loosey goosey. It was not too much. It wasn't particularly loosey goosey. And you gave them a great scene that we used the bulk of, but we added some extra dialogue, and it was fun to make it as real as possible with Rosa's uh, inestimable help, and the whole thing. We shot all this other footage uh, just to, for safety, but we wound up doing it as a wonder. And, the, and then the last thing that, that we came up with in the editing room, once you put it in as a wonder, I had this weird idea. I said, why don't you flip the whole thing upside down? Which the camera right. was not mounted upside down. Right. It was mounted. Which is as easy as... Uh one effect in Avid, right? Yeah. So. Oh, you got yeah. you did that. We oh, did I it. thought we that flipped, was shot like that. No, we didn't. Okay. I didn't know about it until I came into the that editing room really and, cool. and Vince said, "Take Very a look what we did with the." Because I think scene. the reason it doesn't feel like a gimmick is because we really are now oriented with Chuck's face. So yeah. Chuck is the only thing that's right side up. That, that's what I was going to mention. It's to me, you know, a lot of people ask us all the time, or ask me all the time. I'm sure they ask you as yeah. well. Say, you know, do you, so do you and Skip get together and talk about each other's episodes? And do you watch each other? And I'm like, no, you know, we really don't. Every <laughs> don't. once in a while when we're having lunch, we might talk about something that we're doing that day. Yeah. But no, it's like for the most part, and this happened on Breaking Bad as well. We would read each other's episodes or we would read, but we, so we knew the story. But rarely do we see each other's until the very end. Until the end. In, <laughs> we unless, just don't have time. Unless there's something that crosses over, like a prop. Right. Or something, then, then we'll talk to each other to make sure we're not leaving it out for yeah. a particular reason but you're right most of the time we read the scripts and we see them at the end we see them at the end and so you know after we've been pretty much like inundated with our own episodes and we know those really well we see each other's and we're like oh that you know because we do every other one so we're like oh that filled that hole and that filled and that's how that worked okay because you know the story but you never saw it and yeah. when i saw this i didn't see this until gosh sometime last week and it was at the very end and I watched it, and I was really, really taken with the the fact that it was a wonder, 
and also the story was so it was so important story wise to be a wonder because the whole thing is you are with Chuck the whole time and to be upside down and disoriented like that helps you be with Chuck and also the patience that you took with it just like you said to me I mean you know God forbid nobody has to do this but I have been to the ER you know and this is you know everybody is very calm usually in the ER I've never seen it where it's you know crazy doctors are very calm nurses are very calm they're very business like Mm -hmm. Um, and so I felt it was incredibly real but most I find that a lot of television shows are not brave enough to be patient like this and so to me it was incredibly real and to me that much more hard-hitting I'm so glad I found it hard to breathe for real watching it was like because you're you're so in it and he's having trouble he's having trouble it was like it was I I found it very tense and very unnerving in a good way and the part that you know about him like you know that he first of all he just went through this thing where he's been you know around this electricity and he's he all he wants to be is at home uh, under the blanket and he can't be at home and so now you're with him totally and all you're doing you can't even see the other part is you can't see the ER people all you see is hands right and so you're you're with him the whole time and he's saying things like no don't do that to me what is that what is that no turn the lights off turn the light into I thought it was great Absolutely. and that's just I'm just yeah. saying that I'm excited about it but I'm just saying that sort of telling you in a way that's somebody who is brand new to the episode. Like I didn't yeah, watch this more, whole time. I'm so glad. Yeah. The poor actors. So we were just uh, giving a shout out to, we're probably going to watch this. Uh, we're like, what the fuck is that? I'm not, I'm not, I, you see my hands. What the, what the, I wanted to be on TV. But it was, I, I, so I apologize to all you guys. Uh, although, you know, you know, these guys, uh, you never know. Uh, we see so little of them. Maybe we could bring them back in another role. No promises. can know that no they promises. actually delivered those lines. It was not loop group brought in. or No, no loop group was brought in. That was, those are all the actors really talking. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to say, you know, I told my mom and dad I'm going to be on TV. And <laughs> that was you. I was like, Hey, I barely saw you. I'm sorry about that. We, you know, we all suffer for the art sometimes. But, but then you put him also in the uh, in the MRI machine, and that that was also incredibly effective. And I I was just sad for Chuck at that point. I'm like, oh my god, you can't put him in there. And that young lady yeah. was a real uh, CT scan CT technician. Yeah, a radiologist, I think. Yeah, a radiologist. Yeah, and wanna, Skip yeah. killed that uh, scene. Skip, yes. Skip that made was... me look so good. Let's talk about how yeah. good you made me look in that scene because uh, I shot really not much looking straight down on, on uh, Michael McKeon's face. It was the end yeah. of a long day, and story-wise, Chuck had been uh, tranquilized. So Michael yeah. and I have had a discussion, and we were, everyone was tired. It's <laughs> a long day. We all wanted to go home. We had been in this hospital like four or five days straight. I can't even remember when this was, but in the process, but we were all tired. But it was... I was uh, I was thinking, oh, you know, you, you got to look a little pain. And he said, yeah, but I'm not, I've been tranquilized, right? I mean, if I'm not tranquilized, I'd be getting the hell out of here. And if I am tranquilized, I can't show you pain. And I'm like, okay, that's a good point. But could you give me, I don't know, whatever. And then we just shot. We get in the editing room and Skip has cut it together great, but it's just kind of, and it, he's cut it together like I intended him to cut it together. Yeah. And I'm, But it's just kind of lying there. It's not that interesting. And thank God Skip with his amazing abilities and, and all the tricks and his uh, skills he has using that Avid. You can do, that thing is like a magic machine. It really is. I mean, we, we laid images over images. We blew stuff up. We 
flop things over. We changed the color on, you know, the flash of light at the end. It was just, it, and it's just, you try things. It's, there's nothing that you plug in and do it. You just try multiple things and Every once in a while, you get lucky, and it comes out really great. You killed that. You made it seem you took something that just kind of lay there, and you really turned it into something exciting. There's, I love a couple of crazy things you did. There's a couple of two or three frame, only two frame maybe, blow-ups of Chuck's yeah. eyes. Yeah, just blew them up like three or 400% to fill the frame. and just. I think it might have been more frames. than that. It was in the thousands, I think. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> you blew it up a huge amount, it and it looks bit. like shit if you – focus on it because it's such a huge blow up the video looks like hell yeah but it works in a situation yeah because it goes by so fast fast you just you know get a quick glimpse of something there's one shot where chuck's eyes are both open and closed at the same time that's the trippiest that's the trippiest cat of uh (laughs) (laughs) talk about how you did that yeah that's that freaky bit where his eyes are open and closed at the same time he had one well we actually sped it up a little bit so his he he had his eyes flicking open and closed but then I laid another image over the top of it where his eyes were open. So it was just kind of a, a strange quality at the end of it all. dead. It was yeah. really freaky. Yeah. And then you did this amazing yeah. sound work to make it seem even more freaky and nightmarish. And and, uh, and I haven't yet heard, we haven't yet heard because the mix doesn't happen, as we said, till next week. But I can't wait to see what Nick Forshager, uh, our amazing uh, sound supervisor, is going to do. He's going to take what you did and then run with it and make it even more freaky and put it in. Dolby 7.1 and all yeah. that. It's going, to be, it's going to be pretty awesome. And I do like the way we have it designed, and I think Nick will probably go with it, that it just goes quiet yeah. at the very end over black just for a brief instant. Yeah, and we cut to that wide shot of the waiting room, and, and we got yeah. to commercial. We want to talk about the commercial? Uh, that was a labor of love, uh, the commercial, Jimmy's commercial. We finally see it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud that we this, we have this arc, this arc, this episode-spanning arc of this commercial where we saw Jimmy starting the planet in episode seven and episode eight, we saw him shoot the uh, shoot the the sequence with fudge, and, and then in, in nine they were they were sneaking into a school to get the flag, and now here in ten it finally all comes all comes to fruition, and it's awesome. So I mean we've gone on quite a bit, but I know this is the last episode, and there's so much to cover. At what point? You know, during your writing process, during the break process of this, did you kind of decide that okay? Chuck is really going to, you know, swing for the fences and get Jimmy back. Get Jimmy back as in get revenge against Jimmy? Exactly. When did that come? It was kind of somewhat late in the process, wasn't it, Peter and Heather? Yeah. Um, I mean, there was times during the episode where we didn't know if Chuck would, what would happen to Chuck at the end of the episode. We didn't know he would go home from the hospital for a while. And what does he do? And does he leave on his own accord? Does he walk out in the middle of the night or what happens to him? So... I think it was, you know, late in 2.10 when we got to that part in the episode. I think one thing, we were we were fascinated by the idea. Chuck has seen through Jimmy's scheme so well in the, in the mm-hmm. previous episode. He kind of nailed exactly what Jimmy did. And I think uh, we were all fascinated to think, what if Jimmy had actually talked him into believing it Jimmy's way? What if What if Jimmy actually talked Chuck into believing that he had made a basic mistake like this? And Jimmy had to understand how devastating that was for Chuck. Because I think that's that's one of the things that I find so tra I've probably said it before, so tragic about these two guys. They don't understand each other at all. And and Jimmy doesn't understand how important the law is to Chuck ultimately. And that the idea of being able to not trust his own facilities, how devastating that would be to Chuck. So I I, I 
I think we were all fascinated by the idea of, you know, what if it actually worked? And then we put, I don't remember where and when it was, but then we put the additional layer on top of that is that what if Chuck was faking it? And, and Jimmy has been such a great con artist for all these, all these episodes. And what if the con artist gets conned? And this, I think the only person who could con Jimmy is Chuck. And that's, that's one of the things I find so... Because when I watched that last sequence, which is so well written and so beautifully directed, I, I really think Chuck has lost his shit. He's, he's, he really seems like he's gone off the deep end. Beautifully edited by Skip. Too. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a long... Yeah, I, you're right. The, you know, the, 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 the master con man of all may be you know, the straight-laced brother of, of the guy we thought was the world's greatest con man. I, we, we, that was fun coming up with that in mm-hmm. the room. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, do you want to talk about editing that? that uh, I, I remember it took, we shot that. It took a whole day to shoot that, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was a full day. Yeah, no, there were, there were a lot of pieces to it, but uh, beautifully shot. And, you know, the performance was were fantastic. It was like we always say, an embarrassment of riches, trying to get, the best of the best and uh, it was just it, it was so fun to go into that room and just see it exposed to us and 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 how far chuck has gone over the edge and just that you know he does he just completely cons jimmy and hopefully the audience as well to boot at least. yeah till, till, till the very i don't end doubt there. that'll happen i mean he did such a great job of that and the, and it was written beautifully and you know like the, the con was there and until he finally you know clicks or reveals the recorder you yeah. think he's completely lost it and uh michael mckeon and and bob odenkirk of course goes without saying just just uh just wonderful wonderful acting job from both those gentlemen i had yeah. a really and it's f- almost always in the same location yeah these yeah. these two guys these two <laughs> yeah. guys in Chuck chuck's in much. chuck's great chuck room can't go anywhere you although, <laughs> can't go to the fro yeah place. well then and but now yeah. you and, and and arthur have, have you know made, made remade that room and it, it, it looks also so different. Incredibly impressive yeah. that uh, no crew or camera reflections in there. It's amazing what the uh, production designers and uh, set decorators did with that. They did a great job. They How does the great... DP react when you're like, well, here's what we're going to do? <laughs> the same way he reacts when you tell him you're going to be in a hospital room, but there are no lights in the room. Uh, right, <laughs> right. No, he, he just, he's a great guy, and he's, he's a great artist, and he's just like, all right, we'll make it work. He's, you know? he's so inventive. Very dry, dry as toast. Just, mm-hmm. All right, we'll figure it out. I got a big kick out of watching Chuck go into his garage. And yeah, see all the cool. stuff. Yeah. That was fun. Like he had like the oven was in there. And I remember when you guys wrote the um, outline, I read the outline and there was a car in there. Yeah. And I was really hoping, I, I don't know why, but I was really hoping that that might turn out to be Jimmy's Cadillac for some odd reason. <laughs> well, but fun. then there was no car. So Well, and for a very practical reason, you want to say? Yeah, it was just the garage. Once we got in there and looked at the space that we needed the, we needed the room. Yeah. It, the car would have made it unshootable. Yeah, yeah it was funny because I, I remember, did I talk to you about that, Chris? Mm-hmm. I think when yeah. I, I said, wouldn't it be cool if that was the white Cadillac, that it was Chuck's car for some odd reason? And I think we even tried to like look at the year and back time it to <laughs> would it work and stuff like that. But Well, necessity is the mother of invention, I guess. And so now it, 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 it falls on us to answer the question of what you know or maybe it doesn't maybe people won't wonder that much but where did chuck must have had a car at some point where did it go but uh but just because like heather said you it was a two-bay garage but even with one car in it you can't you can't fit the and i knew i always i'm always trying as a director this is not every director knows this i guess but you're always trying to 
shoot the longest angles in a room. And, and well, to be fair, a lot of people aren't into as wide shots as much as we are on this show, as much as I am personally. But I'm always trying to get as much depth in the background as possible. You're in a square garage. The first thing I think of is, what's the longest distance I can get in here? Well, it's from one corner to the opposite corners. Mm-hmm. And you can't really do that if you got a car parked in between you and the opposite corner. So practicality uh, uh, reared its ugly head, and we just said, well, I guess his car, whatever car he had, it ain't here, it ain't here no more. Yeah, so. and it gave us a chance to show some of those really cool things that we saw in Episode 5. Um, yeah, the yeah. stuff that's yeah. not in the house anymore. Yeah, yeah. that's true. All the electronics, <laughs> all the uh, appliances. And it's just you funny know, that he kept it. Yeah, I'll that shows you. something about his frame of mind, though. He really does feel like I'm going to get better. Well, and without and without seeing it as a flashback or anything, you really got a mental picture of what that might have been like. That time when the mm-hmm. illness overtook him and he panicked ripping shit out of the walls and like right. really decimating his house to to make it the way that it looks when we first meet him in, in the pilot where it's just like yeah, just like a picture of what mental illness the beginning of or whatever illness that he has the what that looked like right at the beginning you get a snapshot of that and you're, you're missing you the most you're right. shocking thing of all which is that chuck apparently owned max uh, if there's anybody who seems like an IBM PC guy, it would be him. And, and yet we see a, a Bondi blue Mac and then a, an old Mac SE. It yeah, looks that could like. have been Rebecca's. Yeah, that's what I'm. Wife. That's what I'm wondering too. Are those She's Rebecca's computers? That's she probably true. had a yes. Mac. You know, this is good. Good uh, thinking. I love how Arthur lit that thing. Partly Arthur, and it's partly the amazing uh, light gathering capabilities of this. I mean, maybe you could do that with. You know, film is pretty amazing too, especially. Uh, the fast uh, stocks that uh, Kodak makes now, they're really very light-sensitive stuff. So maybe you could do the same thing with film, but maybe it's easier with video. But he that whole interior of that garage is lit with that one practical Coleman lantern and then a little bit of light streaming in uh, through a crack in a high, mostly blocked-off window, and that's just kind of for effect. But really, the light in that scene, 90% of it, what you're seeing is lit practically, as I recall, from that one mm-hmm. Coleman lantern that the actor is carrying, that Michael McKeon is carrying. So I remember saying to Michael, you're really, you're the DP kind of, sort of. I mean, you're, I mean, Arthur's a DP, but you're the guy putting the light where it needs to be. So uh, keep in mind, you know, maybe when you're standing over here, hold it this way, maybe try to light this part. You know, you're, you're the guy shining light on everything. I think you thought that was kind of cool. And, uh, did, did they add any light outside the door when they lifted it to blow it all out, or was no, that all just natural light? That there? was that was early in the morning, although obviously after sun up. But that was just natural sun coming in, and 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 obviously Arthur exposing for the darker interior mm-hmm. and and letting it. What do you got like a thirteen stop range or something like that with the red, and that was him letting the inside go a little, you know, stop or two dark. I, I'm no expert on stops or how many is, you know, but, but that, the outside was blown out by five or six or seven stops yeah. or something like that. So, and on purpose so that it looked. Yeah, no, it looked great. Yeah, he made it look great. I, that kind of stuff is so much fun to do. And it really is amazing. Again, we live in like Star Trek times. We live in the future because the three of us here, and probably Kelly, I don't know if you did too, but I mean, you 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 have edited on 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 a on a stand up movie, movie older, older, right? Yeah. No, not I. Okay, but Peter, you have. <laughs> I I learned in school. Did you? On a moviola, yeah. It was the last class that actually had uh, film editing on a moviola. Wow. Chris is also 72 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's how I knew about Cranston's real age. Is, uh, I'm an immortal... Uh, 
you both take traveler. A, you both take a schwitz together every now and then. I like and, uh, that. The, steam, the, 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 the old guys in the steam room. Uh, when I started on X Files one night, you, it, it was amazing to be able to have a video tap hooked to the camera so you can watch uh, what the camera is seeing on a kind of a crude black and white monitor. Yeah. And then the monitors turned into color, and now we watch. We sit on, underneath a tent uh, in Video Village on the set as a director. You sit there watching a, uh, I don't know, like a 28-inch flat screen that is just beautiful. It's HD, and and your DP is sitting there with a remote-controlled uh, dial that can that, that can open and close the iris, the mechanical iris uh, on the uh, on the camera. So and you just all the stuff, and you're just seeing. You're, you're watching, I mean, it takes kind of, talk about that, Peter, it kind of takes the magic out of, I feel bad for cinematographers sometimes, because they were the, they were, they were the, 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 uh, they were the, 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 the mystic shamans or whatever who had control of the image, and now everyone, every asshole can sit around in their <laughs> folding canvas chair and say, hey, how about that, make that a little darker, make that a little brighter, you know, and, yeah, no, I mean, we can kibitz over Arthur's shoulder in a way that was unimaginable, on film, even even on I mean, even on Breaking Bad though, our, as I remember the video taps, they were good. But I believe that they, they didn't we have black and white. We had black and white, and this was not that long ago. No. They were they were SD, and they were and I didn't oh, yeah. mind them being SD, but they were the, they were, were so fuzzy, and they'd go in and out because they were all uh, radio RF RF yeah. radio yeah, frequency, RF, yeah. and they and they just at the worst possible moment, you're running along with your lollipop. It's called your little handheld monitor i kind of miss the lollipop to mm-hmm. be honest we don't have that anymore on better call Saul. but you have the lollipop which is like a little eight or nine inch uh flat screen monitor with a with a lollipop type handle on it and you'd run around you know next to the camera if it was tracking or whatever it was you, nice for the director because you can get a little closer to the actors yeah. with the with the lollipop and, that's the part and, i miss and, yeah. and uh it was, yeah. I mean, but it'd but, always it, go out. The image would go mm-hmm. out at right at the worst possible moment. It all started to go. <laughs> Whenever the act, when the actors had their big moment, or when there was, uh, you know, when when there was the piece, one piece of action that you really need to cover, that's when it always went out. But and of course, but with knowing that uh, the image you were seeing was just a rough approximation a uh, of, rough wh- of what was uh, what was going to be on on film, yeah. uh, you had to you had to trust the the uh, the DP, and you know if you if you. And, and and so there was there was a lot of faith involved and, and and there still is because Arthur knows he knows so well what can be done digitally yeah. with the, with the, with these images and so uh you know if you say well it's that you know should that be a little lighter or darker oftentimes he he knows he knows that he's maintaining a little bit of flexibility for post but it's a it's a, it's a different it is a different thing being able to look at a uh, at a high definition monitor it also means that i think the great thing about it is that you can have other people sit with you at Video Village and you can say to them, you know, can you watch, I've got, you know, 12 extras or 15 extras in this scene. Could Would you mind just watching the extras and make sure nobody's looking at camera or that there's nothing, nothing, there's no, no new subplots that are being introduced because of, because of what the, what the extra, what the extras are doing, which I, I, is, I'm, it's sort of, I'm, I'm being funny, but not, not really. Not I mean, really. I, I remember we've, I, we've had very good extras, but you, but it's great have. to have, be able to, yeah, keep going with this because this it, is good stuff. It's, it's scary when you have a, a scene with a lot of extras because you can't look everywhere at once. And and it's there's a there's a random. I remember uh, doing extra takes. Uh, I didn't really have to. As uh, my last episode of Breaking Bad, there was a scene in uh, Walter Jr.'s classroom, 
and we had we had we had I think twenty eight or thirty young folks uh, in there in there with uh, with R J Mitty, and I was so nervous that they were going to do something that I would not that I would miss. So I had Melissa Bernstein next to me, and I think Nina Jack next to me, uh, watch watching watching for watching to make sure. And I did a few more takes than I would normally, just because I was so concerned that the reactions would be real, but they wouldn't be you know overly dramatic. And of course, I didn't really need to because the, the folks were great. So. We've had we've been blessed with some really good extras, but you just never know. And yeah, that's been a helpful thing. Been able I'd have Heather. Heather was very very helpful, as was Jen Carroll. Uh, so helpful uh, on the set of 210 here this episode click because you, uh, you guys would be I would I would use Heather and, and Jen uh, among the many other things they helped me with uh, you know, I'd have you guys watching and saying you know just watch this person watch that person it, yeah. it may sound weird but it's the disadvantage of being a writer director is that there's no separate writer on the set I like to think when when I've been when I've been the writer producer on the set I've been probably normally annoying to the directors but occasionally useful but I have to say sometimes I'm out there directing my own my own script and I I kind of wish I wish that I had that other pair of eyes there I can tell you I'm glad you said that because I can tell you for a fact it's a, a somewhat new experience for me not completely unknown to me but somewhat new but I can tell you for a fact Heather was a huge asset to me and and very very helpful. So, oh, thank you. I'll so. go with you, Peter. Okay, great, yeah. great. Well, <laughs> then we may work. We may work that out for next season. Sort uh, of. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, sort of in closing, I was gonna mention because we were talking a little bit about the fact that we talk amongst ourselves about about the episodes. You know, I mean, we're here in post production, so there's and that we have a whole team. We've got editors. We've got post producers we've got supervisors and stuff so we end up you know we've also got um a couple of the your guys's assistants are here with us sometimes as well and so we talk amongst ourselves in the office a lot of people think you know that we know everything that's going on we you know as and and we kind of like make sort of you know inferences about what's going to happen like you know like like i said you know that i was kind of thinking maybe the cadillac was going to be so i'm just curious as so you guys as creators of the show when you you hear any of these things that we you know are talking about um do, do they ever make their way into the writer's room? Just yeah, like, ideas you've mentioned to us in yeah, the, like, like, the year before? Yeah, or something like that. Or do, sure does that have. ever happen? Well, this you know? is a communal, I mean, this is a collaborative medium, and, 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 and uh, just TV period is. Uh, and, and I think this situation is more collaborative still than most because uh, we, we rely on all you guys heavily. Uh, hopefully that goes without saying. So absolutely, uh, there have been ideas. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank, and I think, can't think of any. Yeah, I'll, I'll think, think of a I great example as soon of, as we finish. I can think but, of one that you brought up, and but it goes again all the way back to Breaking Bad. Wasn't wasn't the idea that uh, maybe Crazy Eight wasn't dead? Oh, didn't that's that come, Kelly Dixon. Oh no, come, actually, you know what? That, that was come, Lynn Willingham. Because she was, was the it? one that really, yeah, she had way more access and was talking to you way more than I was during the pilot. And she actually said that she really, really loved that actor, both of those guys. And she was like, do they have to, you know, die? I thought that was you. No. See, uh, don't we, trust we my memories. You, We've credited sure, you many a time with that. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got credit. I remember, I remember how you said, I, I love Max and, uh, and he's a great, uh, uh, he's so good. And then can't you bring him back? 
I remember, but you know what? I, I'm I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I, th- I, I wasn't guess, kidding. Uh, six I hours ago when we started this, and I said I had very <laughs> few memories about I Breaking I, Bad. I really early thought it season. was a, a team effort on Lynn and my part. It probably it was. Really was. You're probably you know, right. It was like yeah, I remember because right. I I didn't I don't think back then that I really thought that there was I thought that you knew everything that was going to happen in Breaking Bad. Oh, That's Jesus, how naive no, I was. Not a chance. And and I really thought, and then I thought, well. You're a writer, so why on earth would you change your plan at that point? Well, so I don't think I would have been that bold. It was because of you and then Lynn, and Lynn and you. It uh, was, as I recall, probably both you ladies. But, uh, yeah, I'm a, you're right. That's a good example of the questions you just asked. I, I, Crazy 8 was dead, dead, dead. Isn't that how uh, 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 A Christmas Carol opens? Uh, old old, uh, old uh, Jacob Marley was dead. This much must be understood for, for the rest of the story. To, dead as a doornail? Dead as a doornail. Old, old dead Marley doornail. was dead. In, dead as a doornail. Inhaling phosphine gas. So, I mean, this was, uh, that this was yeah, I mean, he was Crazy 8 and uh, Emilio were dead, in my mind, uh, all through the shooting, the writing, the shooting, the post-production of the pilot of Breaking Bad, and then you ladies said, uh, gee, that, that crazy eight. Of, and, and I think you said you like both those actors. Yeah. I mean, we all we all like both the actors. I think it was John Koyama who, uh-huh. who played Emilio. Koyama, yeah, uh, and Max. Did it, also did it, and Max. That's Arsene right, isn't it, Mike? Absolutely, yep, John Koyama. See, okay, yes. good, good. <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, both those guys were great. But, yeah, it was you guys who said, uh, you know, I said, well, they can't. I can't imagine both of them survive, but maybe. Not to short shrift, Mr. Koyama, who also was wonderful. But, yeah, it just it worked out. Out the way it worked out, and uh, because uh, you guys said, you know, uh, gee, are they both dead? We like them both so much. All right, well, let's keep on them around. And then, <laughs> and was, yeah, and that just goes to show. And I that mean, became pivotal though. That it was became huge. pivotal, and now, and then he was back. Uh, Crazy Eight was back. Uh, two hundred four. Two hundred four. This. Yeah, season. but you know what? I've, which aired tonight as we record? Yes, yes. yes. right now. Right now. Right now. For the longest time during Breaking Bad, for at least two seasons, I would ask Vince over and over, "What about the dog? When is the dog coming back?" I couldn't figure out how to bring the Dog, we, we talked about but now it, you could bring but Kelly dog. Kelly we talked about we talked about could, Crazy Eight's dog over and over again I can tell That's you cute. I can tell you I do remember that we did we talked the dog about lives him. the dog always I think lives the dog is fine the dog always lives I did an X file where we killed a German Shepherd uh, and it was the episode that Brian Cranston was first in and it, or the, the episode Brian Cranston was in uh, Drive and. I remember getting unmitigated shit about that from everybody. <laughs> Never everybody kill you an can't animal. kill a you can't kill a dog. You cannot kill a dog. I said we have killed so many innocent men, women, and children on on the X Files. You telling me I can't kill one measly dog? It doesn't matter. What, wow. you know, and God, I'm probably going to get shit just for that. <laughs> what is <laughs> saying that? And by the way, I don't want to see any. I love dogs. I don't, but I, I love people too. And we killed a shit ton of them. On the X-Files, and nobody raised a peep. <laughs> Until you did a dog. Yeah, yeah. So you got to so, be careful about that. So I know this isn't a fair question, but I feel like I'm going to be I'm going to be raked over the coals if I don't ask it. Do you guys have any uh, insight to next season, if we get a next season? It's going to probably have Bob Odenkirk in it. <laughs> I can tell you, though, I can tell you this, this season ends – with uh, a lot of business, unfinished business. I mean, what's what's this? this I think Mike, we wrapped it up nicely. Mike Peter. got Mike got that note. Who did that note come from? Well, you know, maybe we. Should, you know, I will say, if we didn't get a season three, 
this would we could dine out on this forever just talking about what what would have happened for season three it would almost be better but not really. We could do uh, an episode by episode podcast that's right. as though there are episodes. <laughs> that's talking right. Talking about what it might have been. That's right. We could. We could. But I, I think there's, really you know, next, I, next yeah, level. Yeah, that'd, that'd be good. We should do that. I will say I'm, I'm eager for the uh, writer's room to open again. Uh, I'm, I'm not. E- I want some time off. I, right? I would love some time off too. But uh, but I'm, I'm also, I'm eager to have it open again. I'm eager to have uh, Heather in, in the room as, as, yeah. as a full, full-fledged writer. And see what that's like, and uh, we have we have a lot of un- boy. These characters have a lot of unfinished business here. And that is what, true. And what is Chuck going to do with that? Ta- I'm these these are all, and I, I'm not being coy when I say I want to find out just as much as anybody else. You know what's interesting too? It never occurred to me, but you and I are both going to have to find new staff. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not. This is now. Now you're getting. Might you're making me very ideas. sad. Why are you sad? That's a good thing. I mean, he's moving up. That's a good thing. Well, it's, I'm sad it's, because Curtis is, will no longer be under my thumb. <laughs> I meant Wayne. I meant Skip's Wayne. You'll always be in my nightmares. That's, oh. that's right, because you're not going to be around next season? Uh, well, uh, you know, you, you, he's hoping you to be editing on something. I know. Yeah. 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 That's the yeah. good thing. I know. I wish yeah. we. He will you, be editing. I wish something. we needed four editors because we'd have uh, yes, you and Chris. Uh, and we'd have. Uh, They'll have to pry me away. We will. Uh, we would. If if that happens, we would. We would miss you a lot. And who would? Who would? I think make, it will happen. Who would make? Our, I guarantee our, you. It who would will make happen. our screwed up titles even more screwed That's up? Right. We've <laughs> talked about that before, right? Curtis is responsible for the uh, the uh, the extraordinarily awful titles. Yeah, <laughs> we have right. they, they purposely, they purposely awful. awful. It needs to be I, I, yeah, you, stressed. You, tra- you trash talked me behind my back on other podcasts, but uh, <laughs> but now I'm I'm here, so you can say it to my face. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's eight bit graphics, baby. <laughs> you did you did a great job, oh, yeah. and and yes, I I think it does not. I'll stress it, even if though it doesn't need stressing. I'm joking because of course they are purposefully shitty including yeah. the very bad music added at the end of it it makes me laugh it. every time yeah. still yes. i love it i love it i love that bad music it just it just goes away <laughs> while the the names are flashing i love i just i love the the titles and i as much as i love them i was perplexed by them i think maybe we talked about the very first time you guys were like working on yeah, it me too i was like, like okay, i don't that's know what, this is if that's what they want all. all right the truth is i was still learning great. avid i hadn't learned all the controls yet that's not, uh, that's i hadn't not figured not out true. how to dissolve lies. out at the end of the music lies it's, we let the spider monkey so we got a spider <laughs> monkey in there this is his first day on the job you, you drank you and then to... passed out and then your face hit the keys yeah, and that's anymore. what came out yeah. didn't you have to explain to the musicians though about that edit at the end I remember hearing something to, about, you, to Lil Barry to, Lil, to Barry. Lil Barry about the fact that it was just going to cut off or something I don't recall I, I, Thomas probably gave him the heads up I've never met I'd like to meet Lil yeah. Barry one of these days uh, Peter and I have never never met him but it's, I think that was always the concept was that they would they would write mm-hmm. a little bit more and then we would cut it off at just yeah. the right moment. They did a great job of writing Little Barry. Uh, they, Little Barry they did a great job. Many, many oh, yeah. versions, yes. uh, at least over 20. And, yeah. and I think they all came in at slightly different lengths. So That's w- right. So we, <laughs> we had to figure out where to cut each of them off. And, That's right. and not, yeah. Oh, sorry. That would be, wouldn't that be an amazing DVD extra? The 20, the 20, diff- the 20 different versions mm-hmm. that Little Bear... I mean, I guess we could do that. Actually, that would be. Well, that'd be... As a, I don't know. You know what? We should get Thomas G on that. Yeah. And a good segue and a shameless bit of pluggery. Do yourself a favor and go buy the uh, CD that Thomas Goliabich, our, our music supervisor, has 
has produced. Uh, we have Better Call Saul Season 1 music on CD. It includes a long version of Little Barry's theme for, for Better Call Saul. It, it includes Junior Brown's uh, wonderful uh, Better Call Saul uh, song that uh, Peter and I got to watch him record in person, which was awesome. It's got all these great songs from uh, Better Call Saul Season 1, and it's a it's really a fun CD. I'm, I'm super stoked about it. Uh, it is, and they, the liner notes The liner are notes that he wrote are great. That you learn a lot about the show. I you learned do. a lot from reading those liner notes. I did, too, and it, it was a labor of love on Thomas's part because uh, God knows you can't, unless you're one or two people at the very top of the pyramid, you can't really make much money in the music business anymore which is such a shame because there's so many super, super talented people doing it now for a labor of love as much as anything. But this is an awesome uh, CD, and I would recommend it. Also want to give a shout-out to, to Clea Duvall being in this episode. We didn't talk oh, about her. Yeah. Dr. Fantastic. Laura Cruz, she's so good and such a sweet person and mm. a wonderful actress. And she had some tricky dialogue, and she had it just nailed when yeah. she came in. She did. It's she great. is a pro. She's a pro and a half. It was great. I'd met her before. But I didn't had never gotten the honor of directing her, but I got to on this. And she, I hear, I have not seen it. I hear she had a movie at Sun. Was it Sundance mm-hmm. that, that she directed? Right. That she directed and produced, maybe even wrote. I'm not sure if she wrote it, but uh, awesome. it's getting, it's making, they're starting to make the rounds. And I'm sorry, I've drawn a blank on the name. Maybe Mike Bermantrot can help us. Uh, the movie is called The Intervention. Thanks, buddy. You are a font of information, Mike. Yeah, well, I watch a lot of movies. It's what you got to do if you want to work in this business. You got to do the homework, guys. So uh, it's he reads the trades, you know. He reads. He, he Mike, does. Mike is always sitting there with the trades. He's an insider, that guy. Oh, thanks, Kelly. She is. She is so. She is so talented. She's wonderful. She was wonderful in episode five. I got to watch some of uh, episode five last season. And she was wonderful in that, and she's wonderful in this one, too. And her movie's great. great. So, yeah. I believe it. She's talented. It was fun. Working with her was fun. And this was fun, this uh, seven-and-a-half-hour podcast that we did. (laughs) We just just were were laser-focused on point uh, for the entire thing. And, uh, you know, this is uh, like like a Swiss watch, this one. So... Well, since this is the last one, and we'll hopefully see you guys next year. Hopefully, I hope so. We hopefully, oh, wouldn't we, that be great? I don't know. Maybe, to, maybe I'd tomorrow. Love, I'd it's love not, to find. I'd love a, to find out what happens next. Whether or not we do, oh boy, it's well, what a blast this has been. It's been a fantastic season and a great podcast here. We are super proud of it, and thanks to all you guys, uh, every, each and every one of you, and all the folks who were not here who worked on on, on Better Call Saul and made it made it what it is. And it was a group effort of love. It's and a there, there's so much more we could have said yes. about this episode. You know, we we haven't really talked about. Bob's performance. There's so much stuff that we we could we could have talked about, but uh, some of that I think we'll save for the DVD commentary. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So I, I, I can, th- oh go ahead. Go you go ahead. I was just gonna say thanks to all the fans who reach out all the time about the podcast, and uh, it seems like every day I get contacted via some kind of social media of new people who didn't even know about the podcast or finding it or the fans connecting. With, you know, the, the some of the incredible. I mean, we've talked about the fan art on this a, a lot of times, but. It's really cool to watch people connect uh, around this. The fan art is amazing, and thank you for saying that, Chris. You're so right. Thank, thank you, you fans who have sat through this thing till your butt is numb. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again. We don't, we don't mean to make it so digressive. I don't. I'll speak for myself. No, I'm the worst offender. But I, I just uh, thank you guys for listening and for watching. Yeah. You're right. None of it would happen without you guys. Well, thank you, everybody, Vince, Peter. 
Skip, Curtis, Heather, thank you. Chris, thank you, Kelly, great thank job, you, Kelly. And you know what? Thanks, I think Chris. we should Chris. all do it. Well, too. actually, we'll all go, do it. I have to. I have to thank uh, Mike Bermatrout. Whatever. Let's go. I'm starving. Um, and also, special thanks to Chris Sullivan for for no reason. Uh, just like to thank him. <laughs> thank you, Chris Sullivan. <laughs> thank you, Chris Sullivan. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. If we're being honest. And what were you saying, Kelly? No, I think we should all do the whole, the the ending this time. Sure. That's a good idea. We should idea. all do it. Uh, at the, the count, count of three. Of... You do it. No, no. Uh, you say it. Oh, the, the countdown? Count yeah. Okay. Should I go one, two, three, or three, two, one? What What would NASA do? That's, that's three, they two, would one. do three, like three, two, one. one. You know what? Let me count down from ten they because it'll be more <laughs> accurate. They commission a study. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Better call Saul!